Project A Podcast. Yeah, hi. This is uh, a new episode of the Project A Podcast. My name is Florian Heinemann. I, I'm the host. And today we're welcoming a new venture of ours, or actually the two founders of a new venture of, of ours. We, um, we welcome Dominic and Fabian, the two co-founders of Amazed. Hi, guys. Hi, Flo. Hi, Flo. Um, since we have a lot of aspiring and actual entrepreneurs in the audience, it would be great if you could give us a quick overview. I mean, how did, what did you guys do to become entrepreneurs? What, you, what did you do before? And how did you guys actually like get together as a management team to form this company? Sure. Where do I start? I mean, background, studied business administration, uh, finance, joined um, Banyan Company, where I also met Fabian actually on day, day one, uh, so onboarding week. Um, became good friends, worked on a couple of projects together during Bain, worked a lot for private equity funds uh, on the commercial buy and sell side. So looking at business models, industries, players I never heard of before. So a lot of industrial goods, services, old school industry um, was super fun to really understand within a short period of time uh, how to assess a market and, 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 and a business model and, and also understanding is a good investment or not. Yeah, that was super, super fun. I was very fortunate that also during Bain, I got the chance to do a sabbatical, which was kind of the seed phase of, of my entrepreneurship and, and also entrepreneurial thinking. Um, joined our family business uh, called Unitza, actually. Uh, it's a shoe brand. They are manufacturing shoes uh, near Venice in Italy. Um, very handmade, old school style of, of, of manufacturing. I guess there are 30 or 40 shoemakers uh, producing Actually, only women's shoes, uh, so flats, boots, so nothing for, for you and me. But I was super intrigued by, by entrepreneurship and also understanding the complexity, being high level, understanding what to do, how to plan the next season, but then also being super hands-on, deciding, managing people, having day-to-day -day operations. So I was very intrigued by that and realized that this is partly what I'm missing at Bain, where you're more high level advising not really taking decisions and also not really iterating from uh, your your mistakes because you are often not part of the implementation on, on what you basically advise on yeah that was basically the reason um why i why i left bain joined rocket uh, during a time where rocket was still incubating a lot of businesses um back in 2014 um built um a grocery delivery startup called shopwings I guess these days you have gorillas. You were a little early there, I guess. I was too early, yeah. Um, product Zeitgeist Fit wasn't really there and, and, and the German customer not paying for services at all. And, and there was no Corona forcing people to, to also look somewhere else to get groceries delivered. But also we, we realized that there were some inherent business model flaws. I mean, we did not promise the 10 minutes, uh, the two hours uh, time window, which was a bit bit easier to fulfill but we couldn't make unit economics work. So we, we actually burned on, on each order. So I'm very excited to see how the new generation of, of, of grocery delivery startups is, is doing it. Um, so far, they seem to have a quite good ride. Yeah, but as, as you said, I think the product Zeitgeist fit also definitely helps. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, uh, and that's probably one of the biggest drivers of entrepreneurial success. One should never underestimate that. How definitely. much probably easier, uh, easier it is for them now than it was for you guys. Yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah, and after after twelve months um, trying to to launch Shopwings, I I joined HelloFresh, very different stage, more Series E. I I I guess spent uh, almost three years for them. Initially moved to Australia, 
um, joined as COO um, the business and basically looked all looked after supply chain. So from procurement, pick and pack operations, logistics, and also customer service, and um, yeah, helped to to professionalize the business. And uh, at some point became COO of of the international cluster. That's all European markets, Canada, Australia, to really try to leverage synergies within the group, but also to to share best practices between the different markets. And 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 I guess that's why there were a lot of low hanging fruits during a time when we 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 prepared for for IPO. That was one of the the big big things I I did during the time, really understanding on on what to do to to drive profitability, but also to to deliver a better customer experience. Cool. Thanks a lot for that. And what about you, Fabian? Yeah, hi, Fabian here. Um, I, I basically started my entrepreneurial story uh, quite early, but then made a big detour over some time, I guess. Um, when I was 16, kind of like did uh, did some websites with a friend uh, as a freelancer, and and had some uh, did some IT administration for some small businesses. So kind of like a very first entrepreneurial experience, you could say. Um, then actually stopped that, uh, studied mechanical engineering in Munich and Berkeley and wanted to do a PhD in that and then um, had an interview with Ben Company, really liked the people a lot, which uh, kind of like also came through meeting Dominic and um, then joined Ben and Company um, um, directly after university basically. Did that for a couple of years, um, the typical consulting stuff. Um, also worked together with Dominic a lot during that time. And then um, the same as Dominic actually took also a sabbatical to work in our family business um, where we where we built um, digital platforms for large corporates, mainly to um, connect and analyze data, automate workflows and so on. So it's usually rather complex IT projects that we, that we conduct there and um, spent there almost half a year um, kind of like looking into the business, but didn't make the, the full switch to an entrepreneurial role at that time. Um, and um, because I got an offer from a PE firm and kind of like um, working at Bain a lot for PE firms, um, really got intrigued by the industry and then actually joined the PE fund. And um, so, so joined the PE firm, um, was a Munich-based fund. Um, uh, we were focusing on small, medium-sized businesses. So, so um, when I joined the fund, basically I inherited the retail company um, and as a fund, we were usually very operationally involved. So I actually worked along with the team there quite heavily and um, we tried to do a lot of frontline empowerment. So I actually was standing also in the stores, kind of like going through the process, how you sell chocolate. And um, then actually after that, um, um, and that's, that's, I guess, the cool case for uh, when working at a firm, you meet a lot of entrepreneurs um, because obviously you buy a lot of um, businesses from these entrepreneurs. And we met someone with the crazy idea to merge 10 e-commerce businesses into one company. So um, we actually started a project together with him and, and took that ride and um, bought together 10 e-commerce companies with the idea to align them along the value chain, basically, of a digital project and um, fulfill to the customers a full service package basically so from kind of like the strategy for an e-commerce platform over building it over maintaining it and running it and um that that worked out quite well they they, they do for example now the edica e-commerce store um they're building that up they do the cult size um a b2b platform which is one billion in revenue so quite cool projects at the time learned a lot about the marketing stack, about um, basically different technologies and so on. They're also uh, referring to Project A now, one of the largest Spryker implementation partners these days. So um, uh, That's obviously very, very good. Thanks yeah. a lot for that. 
<laughs> and it was it was a quite cool quite cool learning. I, I never would do it again because merging ten companies and uh, basically ten entrepreneurial led companies and their own cultures into one culture was quite a hell of a ride. But uh, eventually it turned out very well, so that that, that was a cool case. But uh, still would never do that again, <laughs> I guess. And um, and then had another portfolio company which also was a, a, um, active in the retail tech space. They had a product where you could um, track basically people how they go into the store and um, bring e-commerce KPIs to the to the to the offline world. There um, was a super cool company, grew drastically, at, uh, and and we sold them very fast after two and a half years. But uh, uh, was also some some cool exposure into retail tech and what you could do with the combination of retail and or offline retail and the online online world um acquired another digital agency at that basically the end of my time in pe and so doing the deals was kind of like so they're always the same and um, i was thinking a little bit about what what's next um whether i want to continue this or, or do something else and then dominic approached me basically with the idea to join a venture capital firm together we like that to move into an earlier stage um type of investing and maybe also get close a little bit more into this entrepreneurial spirit because in PE there you you meet a lot of entrepreneurs but kind of like I guess they they very very much run their business and I thought the the impact and what you could learn and we see might be actually better in that regard and we have been spinning around with a couple of ideas over the year um, so we decided to kind of like build something together and um, so it's really cool because I think it's a it's it's a cool combination I guess because we, we kind of like have been colleagues first and then became friends. So kind of like we know our working style and everything. And um, we can we can fight hard with each other without kind of like being um, being mad <laughs> afterwards. So it's, it's a, I think it's a very cool uh, combination. Also, um, I guess we have some complementary experiences and um, and also share the same values and, and kind of like get, get to know about that over a long course of time so um, i'm really happy that we now kind of like running this together did you guys ever think about like forming a larger team like you, you're just two and that is something that we currently see quite often yeah uh, but but if you look at, at the first wave of, of digital companies you often had like four or five people founding businesses um, with the problems going along with that but obviously also with like a broader type of expertise set that that could also come with that. Have you ever thought about like taking a third or a fourth co-founder? We thought about that, that, but I guess what's really more crucial is to understand where we have gaps in our, our expertise and where we need to get complementary support and then finding the right talent. Um, and, and I guess from my experience, when I did my, my first business uh, with Shopwings, we were five co-founders. And uh, I guess part of the crew I knew, part I didn't know so well. And I guess there are also surprises then which come along. And uh, I guess having five decision makers uh, is also, if you don't know each other well, uh, can be very yeah, time consuming and inefficient. And I guess very early on, you need to be agile and, and pivot and take decisions quickly. And you have to have actually trust in each other. And uh, there was just not a situation where we actually had a third or fourth person being first complementary and secondly also Uh, on the same level uh, in terms of knowing each other. And that's why we decided basically to look for, for the right uh, talent to, to support us in, in the journey and yeah, making them part of the core team. Let's, let's talk about what you guys are actually doing at, at Amazed. Um, I mean, you, you kind of, I mean, you go into the conversational 
commerce space. So you're kind of trying to tackle the problem. I, I often call that the experience gap in, in retail, yeah, where you basically say, okay, uh, in, 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 in the offline space, if the conversion rate of a retailer would be 2%, 3%, that would obviously be a catastrophe. I mean, all of these guys would have gone bankrupt decades ago. Um, so obviously people are, or retail stores are able to convert more people than online stores. Yeah. So obviously also the transaction costs of going into an online store are much lower than, than getting into a retail offline store. So there, there's reasons for that, but also definitely reasons um, in, in what, what you can call the experience gap so that, that the experience that people or users uh, or customers uh, get online are not, are not as great. Can you, can you describe a little bit about that, what, what you guys are doing with conversational commerce and how you're trying to tackle the experience gap? That would be great. Let, let me give you a quick, a quick actually real-life example I experienced um, in 2020, which kind of like also was a, little, a spark for our idea. I was trying to buy a gravel bike and I've been mountain biking quite for some time. So I thought, how difficult can it be to buy a bike, right? So I started the research online, kind of like look, looking, uh, typing in gravel bike in Google. And um, I think it was super pain. I, I remember it being super painful because you see all the brand pages, you have to understand all the differences and then parts and, and kind of like features are actually way different than uh, what they are on, on, on this type of bike, which is obviously a road bike you could use also in the, um, let's say, um, less less urban areas. And um, so it's, it's, but it's different from a mountain bike. So, so kind of like it was super tricky and I was lost in the Google searches, uh, read through reviews and you know, um, kind of like you get even you get even even different information on certain things, and it's it's really difficult to understand what is important for you. So, um, kind of like this is: do you have one chain ring or two chain rings, and so on? So there's like a lot of questions, and I couldn't answer them them myself. And and also it's about a little bit about which price category do you want to go, and you see all these models and so on. So there's there was a lot of lot of thinking about that, and then eventually I chatted up a friend of mine who owns a bike store. And kind of like asking him, is like, gravel bike, what would, would, would you recommend to me? And then he was he was laying out some questions about uh, kind of like, what do you want to use it for? Very specific, kind of like trying to understand my situation. I want to ride this bike in. And then he recommended me basically two bikes with a, um, a big price gap set. If you want to go for the, the more premium one or the less premium one. And then actually we had uh, the decision was made and that, that process was um, kind of like we, we chatted irregularly, so basically it was an asynchronous um, conversation, but it, it, it took me less than 10 minutes probably in total time to kind of like get to, to a very good conclusion. And um, then actually the pain started again because I had to go out of our chat into his e-commerce store, kind of like ordering that and then, and, and so on. So it was a little bit painful. And, and I guess that's the, that's the thing that we want to address with, with Amaze very much that you run through this whole story of getting this expert advice, but then also being able to transact afterwards just directly with the expert and you don't have this breaks in between the customer journey. So what kind of merchants or where, where do you basically see is, is the biggest application or space or application for, for this kind of solution? And, and what are what will you actually be, be doing or what are the, the actual use cases there that you, that you can tackle with, with your product? So what, what we realized is that I mean, what are the two two big advantages of retail today, right? It's kind of the physical look and feel of a product, and basically, it's the the advice and the the the, the consultation you you actually can get if you talk to to a real uh, human being. And uh, so, I guess the application is quite kind of manifold, right? Because 
there are a lot of reasons why you still go into a retail format. And um, so that's also where we feel there are a lot of applications, different user groups uh, having different needs because they're maybe super beginner, have no idea about what to buy and they only know the use case. They want to go mountaineering, they want to do photography, they want to start playing the piano, whatever. So, so people are really starting from scratch in, in their customer journey or people who just want to give very, very dedicated questions to someone to answer them and then to transact basically on that information. So I guess we start today with, with, with products which are probably more high consideration because they are maybe more complex or they are more expensive uh, either way. Um, and in these consumer product categories, we are currently working with a couple of, of brands and merchants to understand how to bring that consultation basically online. Because what's kind of clear and also what we have realized during, during COVID that a uh, lot of, lot of, lot of brands and merchants couldn't, couldn't operate their, their physical stores, right? Um, and, and most of them, not most of them, but a couple of them try to actually bring that kind of virtual guided selling online. Um, still with some limited technical sophistication because ultimately never has been the use case so evident that you actually need to provide that, that service online from booking to actually having the conversation to also finally transact on the product. Uh, so what we realize very much is that most companies kind of use the duct tape and spit solution, um, often more customer service tools, not really optimized for sales environment. Um, so we really um, looking for, for, for companies, brands who really want to kind of de-risk their offline retail exposure on the one side, but also who just realize that they need to actually upgrade their, their conversion rates online, which they today face. And you just mentioned a couple of single digit points versus kind of uh, more mid-digit uh, conversion rates you actually experience in store. I mean, the, the space that you are right now tackling is, is quite hot. I mean, a conversational topic, a conversational commerce is something, you know, that, that a lot of people speak about. Can you, can you describe a little bit what, what's like included in that, what encompasses um, uh, conversational commerce and, 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 and basically can, can you describe to us after that a little bit, like what exactly are you trying to tackle within that space and, and how you're trying to, to do that a little bit about the approach that you guys are taking to, to bridge the experience gap? So basically we want to lay out a conversational storefront. So, so a new storefront for, for e-commerce where you, where you have the opportunity to in, interact and transact um, with, with your favorite retail store, with your favorite brand and so on via a conversation. And a conversation can be a chat, can be a, a video call, and it can be just a call, voice messages and so on. So it has the full spectrum, but it should always be conversational and it should always be for now a real human on the other side because with chatbots obviously there are some problems i uh, there's always this fun fun number that in germany 92% of chatbot conversations contain swear words so, so that kind of like lays out that they're probably not fulfilling the customer needs the best and um, in our view kind of like if you have a if you have a really happy consumer right then then that that's a good consumer and he promotes your brand he promotes your, your store and that also helps you as a, as a business to run better businesses. So kind of like for us, we also try to do that for two, two type of customers we are looking into. We're looking on the one side on the consumer, on the other side of the businesses and trying to improve this conversational experience for both of them. 
and getting them away from this um, duct tape solutions that Dominic just mentioning, but putting that all together into, into one platform, which they can use to basically run this new type of selling online. And um, will that be something like a modular kind of SaaS software where people can choose from, or will you kind of determine the right approach that has to be taken for, for, for the uh, for the store owners? What's what's going to be the approach here? So, in the in the long term vision, I think it should be a platform where where you can develop new business models as well on it that kind of like relate to conversational commerce. And we basically will start with a SaaS solution where you where you can run those conversations on, which you implement on your web shop, where you can also put out other trigger points in the retail store. So for example, um, the, the guy selling at the retail store um, has a customer and he talks to them. The customer is undecisive whether he wants to buy or not. And then he says, hey, if you want to continue this conversation, just add me basically on, on, on the Amazed application and we can continue the conversation there. So kind of like also bringing offline conversations into retail. Um, as an as an example there, and so so we have the, we have this in, in the first first solution we're building we have these these building blocks which kind of like are different triggers that we put out to initiate the conversation then basically run the conversation with chat video call um, as as the main medium now and um, a couple of features around that part and then we we want to build that more and more into a full suite of of tools that you could use for conversational commerce. Mm -hmm. One fundamental pillar in, in that approach is also, obviously, you need the experts to do the video calls. Um, wh where will those come from, very likely, in that model? Will that be uh, representatives of the, of the stores? Will that be uh, representatives of the manufacturers? Will that be external kind of freelance experts? What's, what's going to be the, the likely view there? Or is that going to be different for various kind of sectors? Can you shed a little bit of light on, on onto that? That can be that can be very different because kind of like it depends whether a company has these experts already or they kind of like in need of these experts and whether these experts are in your company or they're kind of like part of your broader um, broader environment of your company. So to give you give you two examples, there's like the omnichannel typical omnichannel retailer they have, especially if they're a speciality retail store. Let's take a camera shop or something like that, right? the um the salespersons there they are very much knowledgeable about the product and they kind of like they they, they they do this that's their hobby usually they do as a job as well on the side so the, or maybe you put it the other way around right they have they have the sales job as a main thing and then they have doing photos as, as a side hobby but um they, they uh, there you have the experts in the company right and it's it's more about bringing these online and giving uh, giving um their customers access to these experts via the e-commerce store and then there's there's other cases if you look at brands and um, um a, a lot of brands especially in the sporting goods industries have that they have this huge community of influencers which um in german you say Meinungsbildner often to these so it's not this hundred thousand um, followers on Instagram influencers, but it's rather people who are mountain guides or, or ski teachers or something like that who get discounts on the gear and they provide basically feedback on that. So it's quite a cool case because they are very knowledgeable about the product. They are actually very trustful persons when it comes to their advice. And, and it's often the case, right? You kind of like think about kite surfing, the, the typical um, spot where you ask somebody about the gears when you take your first kite surfing class at the beach and you ask it, a kite surfing teacher about what should I buy, right? And then he gives you some advice on kind of like what, what equipment to buy. 
And so, so that could be a different cases where you actually bring these experts into the sales, um, into the sales process of a company um, in the e-commerce store. So you would also basically in that case support kind of influencer-like structures where they would um, uh, benefit from the recommendations that the, or the, the commercial kind of transactions that, that come out of their, their recommendations that would also be something that you guys will support. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we have learned there is that a lot of brands have these communities, but they are still having troubles monetizing them in some way or actually leveraging them for their for their sales process and, and involving them better in their, in their sales and in their brand. And on the other hand, for, the, for those experts, it's often quite cool because they can earn some extra bucks on the side with something they, they really enjoy doing, right? Because a lot of them are actually quite good in giving advice and talking about gear and so on. So there's like there's like a, a, a win-win situation for both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes makes. I mean, you have the first customers already, or first alpha customer. What what are kind of the the main results that you that you see there? Is it is it basically that they get new customers uh, that they haven't been able to serve before? Is it that they are able to serve the customers they have any uh, they have any way to serve them in a better way uh, yeah. can can you share a little bit of um, um, of what you've seen so far i mean it's still early days right but uh, uh, if you could you know give us some insight here that would be great cool i mean basically we 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 have two two main cases we want to prove on the one side what can you do to to increase your conversion rate online um, and the other is how to generate new leads and and maybe to come back to the overall Structural challenge our, our alpha customers face and also probably most other brands merchants is that they all have hard times to actually acquire new customers, right? Because you, you pay high customer acquisition costs and actually they have been increasing by over 50% over the last five years. Um, ad space is limited, so they're all looking for ways to actually have these expensive leads um, converting. And, and that's kind of the main challenge for them. And uh, we, we just talked about why that such a huge conversion gap between online and offline, probably quality of traffic is one big important uh, component of it. Um, but still the, the basic challenge is what to do to actually lift that 3% towards more 10 plus percent. And um, so they all realize that they don't have any, any big levers. I mean, checkout uh, optimization is almost done. Uh, so you provide a couple of payment methods. So I guess, there's no 10x anymore on, on that side. Um, so they all realize that they have to do a better job on, on existing traffic, means how to actually provide a better service while someone is on, on, on site, and also what to do actually to, to increase secondary traffic by having a, a good experience and want to retransact at some point in time. And uh, so they're all trying to understand what do they better today offline than online. And they all realize it's kind of providing advice and, and, and service. and uh, I guess everyone has a different customer journey, uh, not always starting from scratch. And, and, and that's why they really want to understand how they actually can, can take someone at, at any point in time on their website, provide them guided advice uh, towards the, the, the decision-making process, uh, discussing pros and cons on the product, and then helping them to interact in a very seamless manner. That's kind of what we want to test with them. Um, and uh, they, are, they are very much, of the of the conception that uh, they're very much convinced basically that they have to personalize and and provide that that key advice um, towards the customers as another really key 
differentiating factor. And that's what we're currently trying to, to solve with Amazed here. Um, because they all realize, I mean, what are they today? I mean, as an e-commerce player, you often offer the same or similar assortment to, to a similar price point. Um, so what do you do else? Um, and I guess it's really about communicating, maintaining your brand value by providing special services to your customers. Otherwise, you just end up being Amazon and a product first company. And, and I guess they all want to be a service and, and brand first company. Um, so that's, that's basically the, the conversion rate case. And the lead case, um, as Fabian described, we're really trying to, to partner out with customers who maybe don't have the backbone of, of staff in, in the retail space they could leverage and bring online, but really also to understand how to actually use that in, in a better way to also advise and sell products for them. So a bit like Tupperware, but not 2.0, probably more 4.0, smaller communities, more curated, the expert being being really someone who actually has trust in the community because they're not just showing products on a picture, but using products and really being the expert. So I wouldn't call them influencer, probably more curators. So someone really knowing their, their domain. And I guess that's a big difference uh, here compared to what has been done so far on influencer marketing. Mm -hmm. So basically trying to, to summarize that a little bit for whom this might be a, a good solution, if I understand you guys correctly from the first experience, there should be a certain complexity involved in the, in the purchasing process. Ideally, the product is quite expensive because obviously you guys also have, yeah, I mean, doing personal one-to-one -one consulting in real time just costs money. I mean, that's, that's so you need a certain value, value of purchase. That is, I guess, also a criterion. Um, uh, th there should be somewhere access to internal uh, external experts that can do um, uh, the, the that can provide the expertise or that can provide the uh, advice. Is there anything else? What what where do you see basically or any other characteristic or threshold that customers uh, potential customers should meet and, and, and who are the ones that would benefit most yeah. from from a solution like yours? I guess really customers who understand that they also have to invest into into a customer lifetime value because it's I mean today. You can be happy if you actually break even on the first order, depending on your product and, and margin profile. But I guess it's more about understanding what what to do on, on the first transaction and how to actually provide that kind of good good um, experience for, for the customer so he want to come back. And I guess that's probably the, the key one. And, and building that relationship between brand, expert, and the customer can be super powerful. But that's what, what really is, is all about, right? building a human relationship to someone you actually can can approach maybe with a, with a new problem or maybe a different problem which just occurred by using the product and using all these moments that matter we need to monetize on and, and to really provide that yeah also after sales service and and, and and good feeling to your customers in adding to adding to uh, what dominic just said is with with our platform we're trying to establish a, an ongoing stable channel between the brand via the expert to the customer right and that that the channel should persist over the customer lifetime um over the customer lifetime so so by that you you actually meet somebody who's willing to invest into customer lifetime because they say probably mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gonna want to capitalize on the customer more often obviously you guys are, are just starting and you're you're building your organization uh, right now i mean what what's kind of uh, your your view on the post covid kind of working situation are you going to be 
like a, a virtual organization with people all over the place? Uh, is it going to be like one central one with, uh, with an office, uh, with a great office in Munich? Or what? what's kind of your view on how things are going to look like in a post-COVID working environment? No, we, we're going to build an ivory tower in Munich for sure. Um, no, uh, joke aside, I guess first and foremost, we want to kind of build a global company because we want to tackle a global challenge in, in e-commerce, right? I, I guess that's kind of what, what the intention is. And I guess what COVID has really shown that kind of the world is super interconnected, right? I mean, and, and even uh, Corona doesn't care about uh, local boundaries. And uh, I guess it's, it's all interconnected. And I guess everyone has realized that remote work works. Yeah, to, to a certain degree, I guess there are always uh, also some 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 downsides of a bit, but ultimately the tools are there to actually work efficiently together um, and, and not always being required to have all people in the same location. Um, so I guess we definitely see that there's huge upside um, from a global hiring pool. So we really have access to a way larger talent pool than just Munich. So really new unaddressed talents, which we can contact. And that also will obviously help uh, with the speed of hiring. And um, yeah, I mean, remote working setups is, is really doable. And, and I guess you don't have that roadblock anymore. Yeah, do you want to relocate? It's pre-launch. Uh, can I actually uh, just um, cancel my flat coming to Munich? And I guess all of these questions you just don't have anymore because you can just start straight away and everyone knows how to do it. I mean, biggest challenges we really see is um, not only building a highly effective uh, culture, but also a fun team culture. And I guess, I guess, a couple of, of situations where we also realized that the informal communication is just always much easier if you are in the same room, right? You go for lunch, you're having a chat, you understand what the vacation plans are, uh, what are maybe the problems that your employee has. Uh, um, and I guess that's really the one where we probably see biggest challenge in how to balance that formal and informal communication and really building that, that, that team culture. I mean, there are a couple of companies doing it apparently quite, quite well from a, from a remote uh, hub, hub uh, working setup like um, GitHub and, 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 and others. Um, so we're really trying to understand how, how to, to work on that one because what we really want to avoid is to actually have kind of second tier employees. So the one being on site, being close to us and the others uh, being, being remote so that at some point there's always probably a certain information asymmetry between employees and that what you have to overcome. Cool. I mean, we have to come to an end, uh, but we want to cover one more more aspect. And as we have, you know, a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs listening to this, you, you, you've seen quite a lot, like the crazy days at Rocket, uh, consulting your own startups. Some didn't go so well. I mean, what are some of the learnings or the, the top recommendations that, that you can, can give to you people that are currently thinking about doing their own venture or thinking about an entrepreneurial kind of career? Yeah, I guess um, probably be passionate about the topic you you want to you want to you want to tackle or the challenge you want to tackle and uh, be visionary and, and probably also think a bit bigger uh, and, and, and maybe some will, someone will call you being crazy. Um, but I guess it's not always about understanding that in a certain region, a certain business model works well and then um, bringing that just to, to your own market, which, I mean, a lot of businesses uh, are built that way, which is totally fine. But I guess you have to be smart how to innovate and how to make it better and how to, so how to adapt it to, to your, your markets. 
Um, I mean, I, I tried to launch Shopwings based on a role model in the US and I failed because I wasn't able to innovate. So I guess that's, that's a big one you actually have to, to factor in. And building on what Dominic just said, I would, I would add um, having a higher conviction of, uh, of your idea and yourself because that gives you, gives you kind of like the trust in, in yourself, also what you do. And um, um, there are always reasons why you could fail. And, and uh, if you start talks with investors, they will put you a lot of challenges and ask you a lot of questions that can also make you think, is this, is this really a good idea? But there you have to kind of like be, um, be convicted about what you do. And uh, it's an obvious one, but kind of like then execution is often more key than um, probably your idea. And um, the second one on that is also to be humble because um, you're unlikely to be the smartest person in the room and um, you should also never try to be because uh, you're probably surrounding yourself with the wrong people if you, if you try that. And um, then you have a lot of uh, yes sayers and um, you want people to challenge you and to bring you forward. And um, uh, so listen, learn, and um, but never lose your conviction in that. Yeah. Maybe last two points. Uh, I mean, we speak today because we hopefully choose the right investor partner in in, in that journey. Um, I guess you you as a as a as a, as a founder, if you if you can uh, choose your fund or fund syndicate uh, wisely. Um, I mean, there are a couple of ways you always can can kind of try to build your scorecard. You can optimize valuations money committed, signaling, fund reputation, do they have a certain experience in the market? Um, obviously with you, the e-commerce god. <laughs> um, um, I guess we hopefully have found that. Um, so, but basically really do careful due diligence on, on, on the fund, right? And uh, talk to other founders, their experience, it's not always going upwards, it also can go downwards. And uh, I guess it's, it's important to understand that the partners you work with, um, have the right mindset and can talk factual on a factual level, but but shouldn't be personal. Um, so really understand that that piece. And lastly, and probably that's one of the most important ones, especially being so early, um, never make compromises on, on the hiring side. So really quality is, is way more important than, than speed in terms of hiring, especially for key hires. So always have super high conviction. And if you have any doubt to hire someone, then, then don't. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, on the last point, I can definitely uh, support that. I, I think especially if you build something like you guys do, I mean, it's yes, it's you also need to execute fast and, and uh, that's there's no doubt about it. But I guess if you build a product-centric uh, company, uh, it's it's really more important to have the, the right people working on these things rather than, you know, being two weeks earlier out or two months earlier out. I mean, a good product that solves a real problem will always find... Uh, customers and 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 the market for it. I'm 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 also 100% convinced. And uh, yeah, if you have a bad feeling on the hiring side, it almost never works out in the end. Yeah, so I guess that's that's definitely true. Yeah, thanks thanks a lot for for sharing all those learnings and and for talking a little bit about what you guys are trying to achieve and how you want to close the experience gap. And uh, if anybody of you listeners is interested in working. With Amaze, either uh, working for the company or trying to be a partner or a customer, you can just uh, write to us uh, either um, uh, directly. We will put it in the show notes below the podcast. Or you can also write to podcast at projecta.com and uh, we'll forward whatever you would like to say, yeah? um, unless it's swear words, as we've just learned, <laughs> which is uh, in the 92% of all 
chatbot conversations. Yeah, that is obviously not going to be passed on. So thanks a lot for, for your time and uh, thanks a lot for the insights. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys.